0: Well, Norwich City continued the pre-season preparations with a uh, three... uh, No, no, it wasn't pre-season, was it? No, it it felt like pre-season, but no, it wasn't. Norwich City season actually started this weekend and it was a a 3-1 defeat at Luton and it was a pretty strange situation overall, but we are on our way back. From Kenilworth Road, from that 3-1 defeat in the first round of the League Cup, uh, Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbit. We're linking up with Connor Southwell via Zoom. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM, as you probably know by now. we're on The, the show gets played out on Wednesday nights on Future. But for now, Connor, um, let's kick off with you. How, how did it... Uh, Appear <laughs> from watching it on telly at home? I and mean, was it as bad as some people are making out? Because some people are, are sort of going off the deep end over a game where Norwich had 17 players unavailable.
1: Yeah, I... I mean, in in terms of like the actual. It, do you mean in terms of the service or in terms of my view on the game itself?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: the game itself. <laughs> the game, the game itself. I was going to say because the service for me was okay, but um, yeah, in, in terms of the game, look, I think it's it's a really difficult one to judge when they've got so many players missing, um, and it, and it was probably played at a, a tempo that that was similar to that of a preseason friendlies, as you joked at the top of the show. So. I think there were there were positives in there. I, I don't think you can really, to to quote Daniel Farquhar, I don't think you can go too deep with the result, um, and and it probably is a blessing in disguise in terms of the intense schedule. I I would, I would guess. So I, I mean, I'm, if you want my personal, I'm not too upset that they're out of the Carabao Cup. I don't think that's going to define their season. Um, yeah. I, I think probably more disappointing for me is that they those given opportunities probably didn't take them in the in the way that they perhaps should have. Um, some some did. I thought Ballymumba was was very good, uh, for example. But um, it, it did feel as though they had a few more gears to go through, which again is, is a positive. It didn't quite feel like that last season, but equally it was quite disappointing that they didn't sort of get to the levels that maybe you'd expect. Um, although it, is, it, it will see a completely different side at Huddersfield next week, so um, you have to take it a bit with a, a pinch of salt because of the mitigating circumstances and. And whatnot, but I think in terms of sort of PR and in terms of supporters' view, it's, it's never helpful to to lose the first game of the season, regardless of if that's a cup or a league game. Particularly when you're when you're already in a bad run and, and the break between seasons is so short, and, and that those scars have sort of been uh, reopened to an extent. So um, it, it does put a little bit of pressure on them for next week. But in terms of the actual game itself, some pleasing stuff, some not so pleasing stuff. But I, I wouldn't go too deeply with, with the result. We never go too deep with it.
0: We know that. It's um <laughs> well set in the Farker era. Um yeah, but let's let's keep that bit of salt with it then, pad. Um if you actually look at the score, you know, it was one one in the eighty first minute. So all right, they've lost three one, but they had more possession, they had more shots of goal. They it wasn't like a a total disaster, was it? Um <laughs> Not as, as Connor says, it almost feels like it's that PR element, doesn't it? It's, it's not a good way to start what's supposed to be a sort of new adventure and there's supposed to be a load, load of excitement about it and things like that. But I mean, technically, there is no way of, of avoiding it, even though one of these is, is a little bit harsh. But they have lost 12 games in succession now. That is comfortably a club record. They, they surpassed that a long time ago. That is including an extra time defeat to Manchester United in what was it? 118th minute or something in the, in the FA Cup but it, it, it's yeah it's not helpful is it
2: no but yeah and ultimately you know you can you can, as Daniel was quite keen to stress both before and after the game talk about the unavailabilities but for me it isn't so much about the personnel it is, it is as, a, as a group which is a radically different group now to the to the Premier League squad with, with the 10 sorry 11 new signings coming in with Ben Gibson's arrival Friday night they need to almost culturally changed the mindset, changed that mentality. That That's why I, I almost, literally, I, I was about to tweet when Dowell equalised that that was a good sign because it not too often did it. I mean, what was that stat in the Premier League? They never <laughs> yeah. gathered a losing po- a point from a, a losing position. Uh, the only team in, I think, the five recognised top leagues in Europe last season. Um, so And I know points weren't at stake, but in terms of, responding to adversity like they did. I thought, well, that's a positive sign. And then, of course, you know, they did what they did in terms of the last two goals that they leaked. Um, so, for me, it's it's less about the result today. It's more about the context and the bigger picture. And they need to change that losing culture. And today doesn't help with that because, okay, they've had a very good pre-season in terms of results, but pre-season is, is irrelevant in terms of the results. It's fitness. It's getting to know the new players, the new players getting to know the old players. Um, so I don't place any store by any of those pre-season results or the goals or even the clean sheets because today, when it mattered for the first time this season, sadly it was a continuation, albeit with different players, of themes that ultimately dragged them back down to the championship last last season. And, and the sooner they shed that losing mentality and uh, and realised the expectation levels now around this squad, particularly the, with the business they've done, they're not they're not. Norwich in the Premier League and will be thankful if we, we get anything at all from the top table. They are now Norwich in the Championship, who will be expected to be competing at the very, very top end of the table. And that that scalp element almost is going to accompany them pretty much every every week. And you saw in terms of how Luton played it today, they were very respectful to almost to the point where they didn't want to engage with Norwich on a on a, a footballing level in terms of passing the ball around the pitch. They were out of possession. Two banks are four, you try and break us down and then we'll try and scrap our way to something on the break. And as it turns out, they didn't really have to work for any of their three goals. And I think in terms of drilling down into the elements that we saw today, we saw them too often last season. Norwich were too easy to, to penetrate. They were still very suspect of fault defending set pieces, which was a, a common theme last season. Um, and they, they are the sort of negative, regressive trends that they need to eradicate. And, and I don't think, me personally, it's enough to say well, that's okay, because next week you'll have Tim Krull back, you'll have Max Aaron. you'll have potentially Jamal Lewis, if not Jamal Lewis, probably Quintilla. And and you would expect now you'll probably have Gibson alongside Zimmerman or Godfrey. I don't think it's really enough to say the personnel will be different, therefore automatically it follows. I think, I think there's more work to be done to knit together a squad of players who actually go out onto the pitch believing we're better than you in this level and we're going to prove it and we're going to... Be, We'll do it any which way you want. If you want to take us on an attacking game or a passing game, we'll be better than you at that. But for me, the acid test maybe of how this season pans out is can Norwich show a bit more defensive resolve? Because ultimately, when they won the title in 2018-19, that was almost, we'll score one more than you every week. Um, It wasn't forged on a defensive resolve and a solidity. I think we need to start seeing that this season because I'm not sure they'll have it quite all their own way going into an attacking third of the pitch in the championship like they did in 18-19. Who knows if Timo Pukki can score in the quantities he did that season. So I think they really need to be better without the ball and, and today was not a good sign. But, you know, as I say, let's, let's just hold judgment ultimately until we get into the meat of the the, pre, uh, the championship season and we see how the likes of Gibson beds in with Zimmerman, for example, in Crawl and the Aarons and, and so on. But ultimately that wasn't... That wasn't the positive step we're all hoping for today, ultimately, and that's probably the most disappointing aspect, albeit, as you said, Dave, at the outset, 10 minutes from the end, it looked like penalties, so, you know, it's probably better to not get too carried away, but by the same token, you can't ignore that we saw traits that we saw too often last season and they need to stop
0: yeah, I mean, during the title-winning season, they didn't win any of the first five games, did they? So, you know, a slow start is perfectly possible. It's, it is a marathon, not a sprint, but um, we're not quite in that sort of territory just yet, are we? But before we just get into the chronology of the day, really, and, and go through all the key points, as you've already mentioned in Jamal Lewis, let's just have a quick chat about that. And um, I'll just come to you first, Pat, and then come to you, Connor, but... um, we're recording Saturday night as things. Uh, we're on our way back from Luton, so whether things move on on Sunday or or not, uh, we don't know. Um, we don't. I don't think we need to talk about Ben Gibson too much in the public. because we, I think I feel like we've been talking about him for a few weeks already, haven't we? And we've we've said quite a lot. I think we've all pretty much said we think it's definitely got the potential to be a, a really good signing. But Jamal Lewis to Newcastle, it's looking like a real possibility, isn't
2: it? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely definitely dialogue between the clubs. Um... As you say, we're sat here outside a well-known fast food emporium just outside Luton on a Saturday <laughs> evening, as the clock ticks over to eight o'clock. So we're living the dream. I think it's called Salad Express, is all it's called. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's where I always frequent. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and your chopsticks, but uh, and as we sit here, then there hasn't been an official bid lodged from Newcastle to Norwich, Stuart Weber, As I was told, it was in pretty detailed dialogue on Friday with people at Newcastle. Um, so the groundwork is, is, is being laid. Um, I think there's a, a common acceptance maybe from all three parties in this, because obviously Jamal and his representatives are, are a key part of the jigsaw that, that they probably can reach an agreement. Um, but that isn't at that stage yet. Contrary to, you know, a lot of media reports that surfaced sort of first thing Saturday saying that Norwich had accepted a bid and I've seen figures sort of 13 and a half, 14 million plus series of add-ons. Um, that's the sort of ballpark I think Norwich are looking to do business. Um, more, more nearer the 15 million mark is, is what I was sort of told with add-ons. And, and if Newcastle come forward with a, with a formal bid along those terms, I'm pretty sure Norwich would accept it. So we might reach a position... And it might accelerate quite quickly from now because, you know, if if they're in pretty much agreement, broad agreement, the two clubs, then then this this thing can happen quite quickly. I'm sure the personal terms element wouldn't be an issue for Jamal and his representatives um, if he feels his future now lies firmly in the Premier League. So this could accelerate quite quickly now over the rest of the weekend. But as we sit here at the minute, yes, he is a player they have identified. He is a player they've formally approached Norwich about. um, But still, there's a little bit of water to flow under that bridge and... Obviously, from Norwich's point of view, I think the feeling is that probably represents good business for, for a player who they've, they've developed uh, and who he, in you know, let's be honest, last season he wasn't because Sam Byron for a, a period of time had taken his spot at left-back. So, you, you know, I don't think we, we, we need to frame how this could play out in terms of a, if it was a Max Aaron's the league for example, on the other flank. Um, and also, of course, they've brought in Harvey Quintilla, you know, very astute. How they've gone about their business and, and where, where they feel that possibly they might be losing players, they've tried to already bring the players in. So um, you put all, all those elements together. I think if Norwich receive an offer in the region of 15 million plus add ons, I think Jamal Lewis will be heading northeast. Okay. Well,
0: Connor, we're going to temporarily appoint you our northeast correspondent here because um, this, it, it kind of kicked off a bit while we were driving down to Luton and um, it catches up on, on what's been going on amongst the Newcastle support.
1: Yeah, so so again, it's it's been um, well. Well, Paddy's got a lot of pelters, so it's worth to say it's probably uh, worth <laughs> keeping your face out of the northeast for a little while. Uh, Paddy's pelters. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm not poor,
2: I'm, merely, I'm merely speaking the truth. If, if you don't like the truth, and then... it's it's the new feature.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So uh there's, there's been that side to it, but I, I think there's um, probably acceptance on both sides, actually that it's if it, if if it is a deal that gets tied up and done, that, it, that is a fairly good one and represents a good deal for all parties. I think. Um, if you were to look at it from a, a Norwich perspective, I think if I, if I was being brutally honest, I think he's, he's probably the one as good a player as he is and as good a, a ball carrier as he is. I think he's, he's probably the one out of the so-called five, if you want to categorise him like that, that you'd probably be le- least disappointed to see leave at this moment in time um, because of Quintia, which is obviously a factor. Um, but equally, because as, as Pad alluded to, the Max Aaron's element to it, the Emmy Buendia how good that, those two players were specifically in the Premier League last season, Todd Campwell as well. Um, I, I think you'd probably be a bit more disappointed to see one of the the creators go, particularly after today's performance where Norwich did feel a little bit one-dimensional and probably struggled to break Luton down. And they're, they're going to need those creators probably a bit more this season. So um, I, I think it, it represents a very good bit of business for a left-back um, who is who's English and uh, or British rather, um, and I think they they, they tend to be a bit rare, so um, for norwich i mean they 've got what one hundred plus appearances out of him to progress his career. I think for me he 's probably that 's probably representative of his, of his level I, I would say, and he 's going to a club where he 's going to play every week, so that, that can only be good for his development and i 've seen a few comments from from Norwich fans in particular about maybe him not necessarily suiting the style of play or the style of play suiting him and, and suiting his development but Equally, I think as as a young player, particularly if you're someone who wants to reach the sort of upper echelons of the game, you, you need to learn varying styles. and And I think there'll be elements of Steve Bruce's coaching that that does improve I, mean, I think defensively, look, you can you can go and look at Steve Bruce's record as a defender with with Norwich, Manchester United, etc. That that guy knows how how to defend, and he knows a defender when he sees one. Um, for me, the element of improvement needs to come in terms of his offensive output and. The fact they play a three a at the back and, and play wing backs as well, you'd argue that that left side is is probably suited to him uh, in terms of how he likes to get up and down his athleticism and his ball carrying. So I can understand why they've identified him. Um, I think they're they're very excited in, in the northeast because obviously there, there's talk of Callum Wilson and, and Ryan Fraser as well. So three players potentially coming in at St James's Park and um, Three
0: players you free- just got right there
1: yeah exactly exactly which which is which is the the flip side of it but um i don't, i, I don 't know i i guess it's it 's kind of representative where they are at the moment um, but they 're spending money and 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 so that's that 's going to go down up there but i i, I think it's it 's a a fairly good move for all parties as as paddy said if it if it does get done because um, I, I think obviously Norwich have, have probably got good connections with Newcastle given given they, they dealt with Jacob Murphy and, and that sort of deal. So they're, they're a club who knows how Stuart Webber and how Norwich City operate in terms of negotiations. So um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I think most Norwich City fans will, will wish Jamal Lewis well and, and watch his progression with interest.
0: They will, but um, the one thing that we and Norwich fans probably need to be a bit careful of, of is we still don't know how good Quintier is, do we? We don't know whether he will be as good as Jamal Lewis was in eighteen nineteen. You know, he was the best left-back in the Championship that year. He won the award. He was in the Championship team of the season. Um, let's segue into the game then and start going through the players and, and start at left-back. You know, Sam McCallum, um, he got the start today because Quintier just has a little uh, little bit of a niggle, doesn't he? And, um, you know, there's five debutants um, in that Norwich team, They're uh, all starting eleven today. Uh, Daniel Barden in goal, Bali Mumba at right back, Sam McCallum at left back, Kieran Dow and Jordan Hugill, and we did see Melbourne City off the bit, off the bench as well. So you got six debutants in the end. Uh, so it was that kind of a day, wasn't it? It was a it was a busy old day. Um, let's let's start with McCallum. I like, you know, and this is going to be hard for you, Pad, given he's the Cove boy, um, he. <laughs> I, I felt like he, he was fine, but I didn't feel like he was particularly on the same wavelength as his new teammates. And I think that's probably a theme of a lot of what we're going to go through now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, f- basically, he, he, to me, is is the name I put to the comments from Farker post-match when he basically more or less inferred that there was lads who didn't take their opportunity today and to show that they could be front-line options for him moving into the championship season. Um, and he he was one of those, really. I, I, th- I think he's he's a player who's basically never played at this level before. You know, he, he's basically was plucked out of non-league. Then he's league two, I think with Cov, league one, proved himself at those levels, but this is another step again. And, and he is a player who seems to be just sort of maybe trying to find his feet, playing within himself as well. I didn't think we saw too much of him. was probably better position than, than, than I mean, you do, because he went and watched him for Cov last season um, and, and and saw that he is a very good attacking option as well. And uh, Albeit, I think, Conor, kind of correct me, I think he was playing wing-back that day. Didn't yeah. Mark Robbins, yeah, you know, play him playing in a wing-back position. So, which is pertinent, as we've just discussed, Jamal maybe going into that role in Newcastle. But I don't think we saw uh, really the attacking elements to his game, which he does possess uh, today. Um, but, I mean, he stuck to his task. But, I mean, I'll have to watch it back again. But I'm pretty sure the second goal came from a ball that side of the pitch. Um, and I'm assuming, as it was his side, that maybe he should have been able to do a bit better on that. Um, but without having seen it again other than the first live take. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, good that he got his outing today and he'll feel a little bit more confident in himself, I'm sure, for that. But um, in terms of, uh, take, if we're taking Jamal out the equation, in terms of a, de- a debate for Huddersfield, if Quintilla's fit and Quintilla plays, I don't think McCallum has really pushed his claims right here, right now for the start of the championship season.
0: Yeah. Whereas, just to go back to Jamal again, you think about his debut for Norwich. I know he, well, he played back end of the game against Brentford, didn't he? But then that first game at yeah. Birmingham, yeah. Boxing Day, 2-0 win, and yeah. he was excellent, wasn't he? He was like, that kid's good. There was no, no doubt yeah. about it. Whereas McCallum, he hasn't won as over today, has he? With that big pinch of salt that you were talking about at the top of the show, Connor, because we're, we're not making final judgment on anyone, but I'm sure if Sam were sat here right now in an interview, he wouldn't be saying, oh, well, I was brilliant today. You can't say that, can you? And none of the Norwich players can. But let's move to the other side of the pitch then, and Barley Mumba, who I think is probably, uh, well, I I gave him my man of match in my video verdict, but um, I, mean, I don't know, there's not loads to choose from today, but I thought there was quite a bit of positives there, wasn't there, Connor?
1: Yeah, there was. And interesting you say so you've picked him as man of the match. I think he was he was leading our, our man of the match poll on, on Pinkin dot com as well. I think he had about forty seven percent of the vote last time I checked. So that just that just goes to show I thought he was he was first half in particular I thought he was excellent. He was um he was exactly what they demand out of their fullbacks, I think, in terms of athleticism going forwards, a bit of tenacity defensively and um I think the one thing that, that concerned me when he signed was was probably his size. Um and, and there was it was nice to see him compete airily as well with uh what well, James Collins at times but but equally a, a couple of others Luton players as well Elliot Lee uh, for example so it, it, it was good to see him and, and I think from an attacking sense the the outlook he offered them was was very very good that that moment in the second half where he got slipped in uh, I think by Lucas Rupp um for me showed it all in in terms of in the transition very very athletic very quick very um, energetic enthusiastic um and it really didn't look like a, an 18-year-old who'd been playing in the Northern Premier League for South Shields last season so that's that's a testament to him really of course now it's about consistency and continuing his, his development he hasn't played much as a right back in his in his senior career certainly um, I think he has a few times for Sunderland under-23s um, so it's interesting Norwich have earmarked him in, in that position I think on on the basis of today you, you could see why um, There was there was a lot of Similarities to to Max Aaron's, I would say, but of course it's it's early days, and um, for him it's it's going to be an interesting season because where where does he lie when when Sam Byron returns, and particularly if if Max Aaron stays around, then that's going to be three right backs, and, and certainly two two others for him to sort of dislodge dislodge in the pecking order. But performances like that today certainly won't won't do him any harm, I don't think. I think he he, he was you he mentioned well we mentioned the, the players that didn't take their opportunity, so I thought he he was one that did. Um, both in a, in a defensive sense but particularly in, a, in an attacking sense. I think he, he offered them a lot on the right-hand side. Um, was very bright and, and, of course, hopefully it's it's the sign of more to come. But if, with a young player, you have to you have to be incredibly careful not to take one performance um, or sort of hype them up too much on, on one performance. So it, it's, it's all very well and good. A good performance today, it's now about the next one and, and the one after that. And if he can do that, then um, I think he's got the raw materials there and there were certainly Bits of rawness in him, but I, I think if he can harness those, then you can certainly see why Norwich City have, have, have decided to bring him in. Because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of tools there and a lot of skills there that if they can bring them together, you can certainly see there being
0: a, a, a top talent there. Yeah, I could see some similarities with Max uh, as well, but a little bit of snap in his tackle as well from having been a midfielder. And But that that is a good point that he was playing on loan in, in the Northern League and then he has looked like he's a potential championship performer quite quickly. So um, he's one of the people who, who did advance their cause. Um, let's talk Jordan Hugill. He's the one who um, most fans would have been excited to see, I think, today, but um he, I, I'd imagine, he's travelled home very, very frustrated today, hasn't he? Because they did not set up in a way to use his uh, attributes at all. Really, did they?
2: In reality, is what well, we talked. We touched on it. You need it, you needed, and to be fair, Dowell has that ability. I thought Josh Martin, but it was only in glimpses. Norwich never really advanced to the final third, certainly with any conviction, and because Luton were able to sort of funnel back and. Get some big boys around him. He, you know, he was always very closely patrolled, and the service into him was, well, was pretty non-existent. Really, I think he fashioned a couple of second-half chances, but it was almost his own work. And and he, from what I've seen to this point, he's not a Timu Puki who will take you into channels and and almost um, you know create stuff himself. I think he very much is a wit for the penalty box type operator and balls need to be flowing into the box and good quality crosses as well. And then you will see the physical attributes he's got and how good he is aerially uh, come to the fore. But, you know, back to goal, um, little touches in and around his feet and then hoping he was going to lay it off. Uh, that's not really his game today. So, yeah, he will be frustrated because I'm sure he'd like to put a marker down. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily put the put the, put the emphasis on what he didn't do. I think he wasn't helped in terms of, I mean, Marco Steeperman offered nothing for me today, um, in and around him. They didn't, we're talking about Mumba, and yes, he he did get forward a little bit, but there wasn't any great width, even when Hernandez came on, it was all still very much central. Um, And that's something that Farker needs to sort of, over the period now, as we get into the season and the game's come thick and fast, he needs to evolve that a little bit, because to get the best out of Jordan Oogle, it's pretty evident that, you know, it needs to be about him in the box and balls, regularly getting put in there of a decent quality and then I think you will see in a mould of maybe a Grant Holt who he's been likened to and you can quite easily see the why, the similarities then I think he would get his fair share of goals but I I think it's asking too much for him to play with his back to goal outside the box. That's not really what his strength is, and that's not really why he got his move in the first place from Preston to West Ham for a lot of money. So, yeah, yeah, I think we can give him a a little bit of leeway on today's performance.
0: Yeah, when O'Neill came on, that was 72nd minute came off Josh Martin, and I was thinking, right, here we go, let's get some balls in the box. But... It, it almost feels like Norwich have forgotten how to play with proper width like that, whipping balls into the box for a striker to to try and get his head on because that is just not how they play, is it? You know, again today, you've got Martin, Dowell and Stieperman. That's three number 10s really, isn't it? Three attacking midfielders. They're not out and out wingers, but O'Neill didn't really hit it. So, you know, maybe once Bojeta's involved, that might suit him a little bit more. But, I mean, again, you don't want to make... Um, full season judgments on what happened today, but uh, Hugel's almost looking a bit more Jordan Rhodes-esque at the end of today, isn't he? In terms of someone who's going to get his chances off the bench, he's going to make that impact. Somebody who's going to allow them to chuck balls forward, but maybe is not the plan A under Farker, is he? As we sit here today, it seems much more likely the Puckie's going to be starting against Huddersfield. Um, let's talk about the goal scorer, to be fair, then. Uh, Kieran Dow, a uh, debut goal for him. Nice finish. Um, other than the goal, Connor, did you uh, did he catch your eye too much? There were some
1: there were some nice moments. Um, I, I think when, when he's in possession, he, he almost glides through things. It's he, he's re, he's a really nice footballer to watch. He's a very aesthetically pleasing footballer. There was a nice run in the first half where he, he almost took it upon himself to drive Norwich forward, which was um, a little bit of something we we haven't necessarily seen in a while, um, which, which was nice. But equally, there, there was certainly times in the game where probably similarly to a lot of Norwich players, certainly the Norwich's attack attacking free where he just sort of went missing for a period. And, and that, that was a, a little bit of an issue, but he certainly looks like someone who has the quality to in decisive moments come up with a little bit of, of, of quality that can influence or impact games. Um, I think we, we certainly saw that with, with his goal, which was a very instinctive finish and we can probably argue about the goalkeeper's positioning, but um, he, he he hit a shot with with tremendous accuracy, considering how it fell to him essentially, and his body shape and was leaning back slightly, so it was very controlled. So that 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 for me showed his his technical promise. Um, I, I don't think he's necessarily suited to to playing off off one of the sides. I'll be honest. I think his his instinct, and we saw it a, a bit in the game, was was to drop a little bit deeper in, in central areas and perhaps occupy that that number ten position as opposed to sort of the the inverted wingers that, that, that we've seen under Daniel Farker I think they're probably better suited to someone like Josh Martin or Emi Buendia who perhaps looks for space rather than, than looks for the ball I think Dowell is, is someone who, who wants to be on the ball as opposed to someone who who wants to make things happen in space so it wasn't it, it was it was probably in a, a similar category to Sam McCallum really it was, it was okay there were some nice moments there were some and probably, um, as I said, moments where he went meant missing as well. Um, but I, I think if they can get a tune out of him in in the number ten position consistently this season, then they'll have a player who can who can produce um, who can produce moments of real quality in terms of goals and and assists as well. To be fair, so it's it's all about that sort of gelling element and 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 getting him in into into full form as well um, because he's he's a player that knows the championship so we're probably not having the same sort of discussion as, as Quintia, for example, and, and Sorenson and Sinani, etc. He He is someone that they do expect to hit the ground running and they've, they've got to help him out a little bit, I think in terms of his position, um, because I don't, I don't think he's suited to, to that position off the right. And I think in, in, in season he's been one of the players who's, who's pressed really, really well. And it was interesting to see him perhaps not do that to the same extent against probably better opposition. So, um, Again, elements of him to improve on, but there were some really nice touches, and and he's a really nice footballer to watch. So, I think there's there's more to come from him. And in terms of, as I said at the top, in terms of the gears to go through, you'd like to think that that he's got a few more to go through between uh, between now and 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 when we really get into the sort of flow of the of the season.
0: Yeah, as we sit here today, I'd rather. Dow starts in the central role ahead of Stephen at Huddersfield and then one of Pojeta or Hernandez on the left and probably be Campwell on the right with are out suspended. But um, we shall see. Uh, just finally, then, on, on the Davyton's front, Daniel Barden in goal pad. He... Um, I spoke to Christoph Zimmerman afterwards and he said he didn't really do anything wrong. And he didn't really, did he? Um, we'll, we'll come on to how the penalty was conceded shortly before. But just in terms of goalkeeping, um, he didn't really
2: do anything wrong. He was okay with his feet and things like that, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought he, was, I thought he looked confident. I mean, it was a couple of early catches he had to come and claim and he did that, no problem. I thought Luton missed the trick, but surely they would have done their research and known full well that... It was essentially his first outing as a professional footballer, um, certainly at this level. Um, I and mean, they didn't really put too much pressure on him. You know, they didn't get players in and around him at set pieces. Um, yeah, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, You'd well, take pot the thing, shots, wouldn't you, from yeah, 25 yards? And... Yeah, I mean, certainly with the likes of Collins, I mean, ultimately, Collins would say, well, I'm going home with a match ball, so what do I know? But uh, you would have thought in that first 15, 20 minutes, the first sort of corner that came in or whatever, there would have been you know, basically trying to rough him up a little bit and just unsettling him. But, um, so as, as, as a, as a result for me, he grew into the game. Um uh, he certainly physically has got the size. I think he's got the temperament as well on what we've seen today. Cause that was, that was quite a, quite a task to throw him in at the deep end like that. And, um, there's definitely material to work with and you can see why Farka was quite taken with him and, and did, albeit he didn't have too many other options. McCracken was on the bench today, I, I know, but, uh, I think he was fa- he was fairly relaxed that he would he would get a decent level of performance and Zimmerman's right. I mean, as we'll get into now, none of those three goals you can lay at the feet of that man's door. So um, I think he'll have, within the context of a overall disappointing result, I, I think he won't have done himself any harm in in terms of where he might now stand in that pecking order of academy-based keepers. You know, queuing up behind Cruel to eventually maybe re- replace that man when he when he's no longer Norwich's number one. So yeah, I think he's took a step forward today, but. Obviously now, like with a lot of those development type players, what's the best next stage for him? Is it to keep him in the building or is it to let him go out and get some football? Mm. Um, And that's a decision obviously Stuart and the academy guys have to to decide and Daniel. But um, yeah, on today's evidence, solid. I mean, he he won't probably remember his debut too fondly given the result. But uh, yeah, there's nothing he had to reproach himself about at all on that performance yeah, good.
0: good learning experience for the lad and that having that on his CV will just help getting him alone a at a decent level you'd have thought as well um, the best chance other than the Dow goal obviously was uh, Alex Tetty got a real cracking shot on goal which forced a good save from from James Shea um, Lucas Rupp did find the uh, side netting in the first half as well um, so Rupp v Vrentice. that got people really going before kickoff, didn't it um, mm. Mario comes on, in uh, it was the 59th minute. Closer goes off injured, doesn't he? Gets what seems like a heavy dead leg, and he sort of limps around for a bit before he eventually goes off. Then Teddy drops into defence, and then Ranches comes in.
2: What was Mario doing for
0: the foul that conceded the penalty? <laughs>
2: to be honest, I feared because we know without the ball, he's um, to put too fine a final point on He's a bit of a liability, and and as soon as that ball. Float into the back stick And he's kind of, You could tell that His body position was all wrong In terms of defensive position He's lost the flight of the ball mm. He doesn't even know I think that the man's behind him And he's Clearly turned around Hooking his leg out To try and catch the ball And the, it's obviously dropped At the lad's feet He can see what's happening Very cute He's just basically Moved inside And uh, took the leg as it were And it's It's a penalty it's, it's It's Just A very For me Creative midfielder In the wrong position One part of the pitch And uh and that was obviously, you know, ultimately decisive in the final analysis. But but, but it was interesting that Daniel did, Farker did make the point that, really, that probably, by that stage, that underlined the lack of resource they had available because there's no way he says that he's, he now sees Mario in a six role. He sees him very much dropped into that 10-competition mix as an attacking midfield option, mm. top end of the pitch. So, by definition, he's basically saying he doesn't feel that Mario's suited to that role. But unfortunately, because of Injury to Tim, Alex Tetti has to drop out into the centre of defence. It was knees, nice, mercy, the Murray went in there, but I think we, in that one act you kind of highlighted why he's not a six because defensively you can't rely on him as you couldn't lighten a Royal Tribal, unfortunately. And uh, just unfortunate for the man that, you know, he's come on, he found himself in that area of the pitch and just um, a very poor decision and uh, it's proved quite costly.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, in sort of insight into Farker's mind, really, isn't it? You can tell that he's sort of lost a bit of faith with Ranuch as a central midfielder, almost, and his idea of the, those two midfield pivots being more defensive and more solid and more balanced—that is the sort of after-effect of last season, isn't it, in the Premier League, and the, the sort of uh, the lessons that he learned from it. But if Ranuch is to be considered one of those attacking midfield three if Campwell and Wendy are still here after the transfer deadline in mid-October, mm-hmm. they are incredibly overstocked in that area, aren't they? And almost to the point where you say, well, do they need Stephenman and Vrancic, which is strange. So we'll see how things develop. But, Connor, you probably had a better handle on this than us in, t- in terms of Lucas Rubb. He had a pretty... Strange start to the game, and it felt certainly in the live updates at Picken dot com that people were piling in heavily on him. But, but perhaps he'd recovered a little bit of faith by by the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I thought he was. Um, I don't know if I'd put him as as one of the better performers, but I, I certainly don't think it it was a, a poor performance. I think he's he's, um, he's 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 an easy target because unlike Vrancic or Tetti or. Um, uh, I, tribal i guess maybe to an extent he's, he's very difficult to define as a central midfielder you, t- you talk about it there in terms of the defensive or how daniel Farkas sees the defensive midfielders or, or in in that double pivot and he's he's just kind of i don't think he, he really fits into a, a, a tag in terms of he's, he's not a but he's, he's definitely not a ball player and he's probably not the the sort of Ball-winning midfielder, either. Um, I think he's he's probably somewhere between the two, but he does provide a, a or inject a tempo, um, and I, I think he is very good defensively in terms of his positioning and and how he presses as well. So he's a very he's a very confusing footballer. I think is is probably the best way to describe him. But I, I don't think it was a bad performance today by any means. There was a a nice moment in the first half in the second half rather where he led a a Norwich counter attack and. I think played in Josh Martin in the end. And that, that was very, very good in terms of how he, he broke the transition and, and sort of led Norwich up the pitch. And that's probably a bit more of what we need to see from him. Um, there's a moment in the first half where he probably took too long over a shot. And I think it's, it's that lack of decisiveness in the, in the final third that probably rubs people up the wrong way. But I can, I can see why Daniel Farker likes him, because I think he's, I think he's, he's probably most comparable to Kenny McLean in terms of what he offers off the ball. In terms of that energy, in terms of how he presses, um, but he's he's not he's not Mario Vranic, and, and 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 he's not a creator, and he's not someone who's who's going to chip in or, or steal the headlines. But I think he, he is fairly consistent in terms of probably being a six or seven, and I think you probably do need a few of those in your team. I don't think he's he's going to be a first choice option, but I think he's he's more than good enough as a, an option at this level. Um, I would I would certainly put him. Probably in in the top five performers as opposed to the bottom five, I, I would say. I think he was um, he, he was okay today, um, but I think we we do need to see more from him in in the final third and in terms of his his work on the ball. I think clearly that that's a part of his game that needs improvement. Um, but I I can see why people are rubbed up the wrong way by him. But I, I I don't think that he warrants quite the amount of of stick that he does get because I think he does offer Norwich City something in midfield.
0: No, I think there's a bit of scapegoatism going on, isn't there? Like he's, And I thought Daniel actually described this quite well towards the end of last season, didn't he? About he's come in and he's new and they're doing badly and it's easy to blame him because the love isn't already there for him, that there is with a Steepman and a Vrancic and a Tribal because he wasn't part of the team that won the title. But people were asking in the live updates, what does Rupp offer that Tribal doesn't? You know, it's similar kind of conundrum in that he's not quite a tetty he's not quite a lightner or a rancher he's somewhere in between isn't he and I have to say that I, I I was struggling to sort of give an answer to that other that didn't say well yeah you might as well keep tribal as much as Rub. so he's going to be interesting to to monitor and as we said pre or as I said previously in the pod I see tribal as just a bit of collateral damage really he hasn't done necessarily anything wrong it's just part of the whole, whole revamp of the squad so so Rupp's going to be uh, going to keep an eye on um, I think that's uh, just about everything from the game covered I mean, as far as close as injury went Pad uh, Daniel wasn't too worried was he he thought he was more sort of being careful
2: well he hoped so but he was a bit exasperated if I'm honest is, his manner uh, when, he, when he gave the, gave the reply and I don't read really too much into that, but obviously, you know, closer he has some horrendous run with injuries, and and it was almost not not again. He, he kind of didn't even want to really contemplate how long it could be. But certainly, the innocuous nature of it leads you to think it'd be you'd be very surprised if if we uh, you know pitch up at Colney or virtually pitch up at Colney ahead of Huddersfield later later on next week, and to be told closes out for a lengthy period of time because it. I mean, he came back on, and and it did feel by his mannerisms. He basically reported to Barker he couldn't really run. That maybe it was kind of a just a muscular bang, and it started to stiffen up, kind of thing. a la dead leg, but when um, but he said it was the knee area, which does certainly send set an alarm bell running because that's where he had um, he's had a lot of problems with. I mean, his first injury when he arrived at Norwich was a knee. Um, and was it the knee that it yeah. Steven injured last season, which kept him out most of the season? So, you know, really? Crawley, sorry, yeah. So a player susceptible to knee injuries, you you won't want him to have another injury in that area. Uh, but ultimately, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I don't I don't see it. Certainly now, Gibson's in the building. I don't see him threatening the the starting eleven um, if all or a proportion of those centre backs a still in the building and b fit. um... And I think that's probably a reflection of what he didn't offer during the project restart period. And that's incredibly harsh because he was coming back after such a long layoff. And because they didn't have any other available centre-backs, it was, sorry, Tim, out, you go there. We need you to play. We know you're not ready. Um, But he didn't do himself any favours there. And he was very poor in that project restart period. Not the only one, but he was very poor. Um, And I think that's probably set him back now, maybe in the minds of Weber and Farker. And and that's a shame for the lad because he's a lovely lad, a very popular figure, both inside and outside the club. but much like with Tribal and Leitner and Dermott, have found time moves on and, and while I still think they would see him as part of a squad because he, he offers so much off the pitch, the type of character he is, I think now, in terms of Blorich's best 11, Tim Closer isn't in it, um, certainly not with Ben Gibson in the building, it's going to be Gibson plus one um, and at the minute, you'd think that's probably one of Godfrey, Han- Hanley or Zimmerman and that certainly isn't Tim Closer. So, yeah, hopefully for the lad on a personal level, it's it's not a, a lengthy layoff. But um, irrespective, I think uh, I, I, I just don't think I think the time has come now where when Tim Close isn't going to be one of Norwich's recognisable best two centre backs yeah, when fit.
0: Yeah, I think I would l- largely agree as we sit today, but. Um, there were a few moments in that game where you used, reminded of his use of the ball at this level. You know, when Luton had attacked and Norwich Slaway was scrambling, then all of a sudden Tim got the ball and he can't open down. He picked the right pass. He just disarmed the situation, essentially, and he can McCallum down. And, uh, you know, I still I still think Tim's got something that could play a major part if he can get his rhythm back because he's so out of rhythm now, isn't it? It's been, you know, a couple of years, really, since he's been able to um, say that he's playing a full part in sort of Farkable, mm-hmm. you know, you think that first half of the season of the title winning he he was fantastic, wasn't he? Um, but it's been quite a while now since that. So if he could find full match fitness and full match sharpness and find his rhythm, yes, I still think there's a player there. But this seems like a perfect moment to bring in a bit of Crystal Simmerman because I spoke to him after the game and did speak to him about uh, the centre-back options and about all the injury issues. and. Um, Obviously, speak to, spoke to him about the game and and how he's feeling as well because he's the same as all of them has had his own injury problems, hasn't he, this year? So here's a bit of what Christoph had to say after the game.
3: It's never easy to, to deal with a defeat, especially not if it. it's the first round round in the cup. Um, yes, you mentioned the, the circumstances that we had, but still, I think our claim as Norwich City Football Club should always be to survive the first round in the cup, no matter if we've got 10, 15, or 20 players on international duty. This should be our claim. This has to be our claim, and therefore, um, that's. It's as disappointing as any other.
0: In terms of your fitness, then Zimbo, you, you talked about it a little bit there. How, how are you feeling? Because you sort of were back in at the deep end towards the end of last season. Are you still sort of playing catch-up to, to feel like you're fully strong again?
3: Obviously, um, I've been struggling, I think, since more or less after the Liverpool game, which was mid-February. And since that point, my hamstring was not in a great place. Yeah. And that's almost seven months ago now. I have not really played much football since then. Um, And yes, we've, we've been trying so many things with different injections and seeing different specialists to get it right. But in a very good way, those problems are more or less sorted. So I was just happy and it was my ambition to play the last one or two games of last season, to go into that little summer break knowing nobody's in the right place to play games again. Because if you start again and after two, three days in training, your body tells you "No, I'm not ready for it. You lose the faith in your body to be able to play on a, on a good level. And um, I was just happy I managed to get through the Burnley and the Man City game. Then I had a break and now coming back, I, I was able to do every training session. Yes, still um, uh, looking at the last seven months, I played maybe six or seven games of football, which isn't a hell up. But then uh, I was able to as I said, do every minute um, that I that was given in training and in the games in pre-season. So that's obviously a good thing on a personal note, um, and I'm quite positive um, we've sorted that problem now for good.
0: And fingers crossed, you're all fit and you're all avoiding injury, you Grant, Tim, everyone. Now with Ben Gibson coming in, you've got a real competitive bunch of centre backs there, haven't you?
3: Yeah, on paper, we might have even have we might even have a better squad than last season. And if you look at those five centre halves with uh, the two pens, yeah. with Tim Grant, who will be back hopefully quite quite, uh, quite quickly as well with Tim and then we, we still have Ekin who has to come back from injury we've got quite com- uh, competition for those two spaces uh, two places in the center half position but I think that's that's what you want as a manager that's what you want as a player to know I need to, to do well I need to play well otherwise uh, I might not play for the next four five six weeks and yeah. we didn't have that towards the end of last season. And I think um, given the injury history of our centre-halves in the last season, uh, it's good we have uh, many options on that position because yeah, some games we ended up playing Alex Tete and Ibrahim Amadou to hold the midfielders in that position. That shouldn't really happen going into this year. So I think it's smart that we strengthened um, this area on the pitch as well because we've got lots of options in the midfield, many options up front and now many options in the centre of the defence as well
0: just finally can I ask a little bit about Daniel Barden obviously it was a yep. big ask for him today wasn't it to step into that sort of situation uh, quite a, quite an intimidating one uh, I guess um, you guys wanted to protect him as much as you could but he seemed like he was pretty comfortable with the ball at his feet
3: yeah for sure I mean we've seen that the last pre-season friendly when he played against Darmstadt um, it's, it's been his I think his first competitive game for us now and yeah lots of things had to come together with Tim Mickey and international duty Archie yeah. as well Aston injured so, yeah, lots of things have come together, but he's done well. And I think he's, um, he's played a good game. He couldn't do anything with the goals he conceded. He's been, been vocal from, from, from behind. And, um, he's been helping us a lot playing out from the back as well. So I was very happy for him, but, um, so that he had done well in his first game, but obviously, yeah, quite got it with the result for his first game.
0: Uh, just finally then, uh, before we kick off the final part of the show, I uh, just want to remind you that Thursday night, a couple of days ahead of Huddersfield, it's our Pink and Live event, kicking off at half five. Zoom is the place to be really, if you want to join in, if you want to be able to uh, put your digital hand up in the air as you as you can in uh, in Zoom and, and ask a question, uh, join in with, with us guys, all, all the guys involved on the Pinker podcast and our sort of uh, friends of the show as well. There'll be loads of people involved, we'll get through as many questions as as we can, we don't have a particular time limit on it, we'll just see how we go. But, um, it's going to be a bit more informal, we're just gonna have a bit of a laugh. By all means, uh, grab a beer and join us at half five on Thursday. We'll, we'll- you know, review this game a little bit, um, but we'll very much be looking forward to the start of the championship season against Huddersfield. We will stream it on the Pink and Facebook page as well. But as I say, um, please do come and join us on Zoom if you um, are, are free to. The details of how to do that are pinned at the top of our Twitter and Facebook pages. There is a story on Pinker dot com explaining it all as well. But um, yeah, hopefully it'll be a, a fun night. So do come and join us. Um, just finally, then boys, let's let's start sort of turning. Tensions. Then, um, you know, we said right at the top of the show, really, didn't we? That we know there's going to be a very different team um, based on what we've seen today. But even before today kicked off, we we knew that it's very likely there'd be a very different team. Um, Connor, def- defensively, if I, if I come to you on the defence, who would you expect to be starting um, next Saturday?
1: Well, it's, it's a really difficult one. I think I think we have to work under the assumption that that Jamal Lewis probably. Won't be around, so so I think by that logic of, you'd hope, uh, Shabby Quintia is 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 fit enough to start. For me, the major question mark is is Ben Gibson because even though he's he's come in with all the fanfare, he it's been a, a year pretty much to to well a year and a month, 13 months since he last played his uh, a game of football, which was a, a an EFL Cup defeat to to Sunderland for Burnley. So it's really difficult to sort of gauge where he is in terms of fitness and, and match fitness and. Whether it's it's a bit of a risk or, or a bit too much to chuck him in straight from the off, I'm I'm not too sure. Um, it looks like close is injured. Hanley's obviously we're expecting him to be ruled out as well. So I I would probably say that leaves one of 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 um, Godfrey and Zimmerman. If if Gibson doesn't play, it wouldn't surprise me if we did see a, a Godfrey and a Zimmerman partnership, and then uh, hopefully Max Aaron's at right back. I think I think that's probably the the four I'd be looking at. Um, although. You, do you go with Bally Mumba, um, because he, he he did perform well today? Is it a bit too much for a risk? And we know Daniel Farker's not afraid to to, to put in young players. So I, I think that for me is 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 probably what I would go with. Um again it for me it all hinges on Gibson because if Gibson's fit and, and they judge him to be in a position where he can start the game, for me that he he's he's the one that you start with with probably Ben Godfrey. Um uh, because I, I don't think Christoph Simmond, particularly his hand in the second goal where, where he should have cleared it, I, I certainly think he probably falls under the category of a player that didn't take his opportunity. Probably a bit gutting about Grant Hanley as well, to be fair. I'd, I'd sort of apply some of the comments um, made about Tim Closer in, in his direction, because I think when, when he's fit and available, um, certainly on the evidence of the last year or so, I think there's, there's probably a, a case for him being Norwich's best centre-back. Um, it's just about keeping him fit. And, and that's something that, that they haven't really been able to do since he joined the club. And we've seen how instrumental he's been in certain periods in certain times in Norwich City season, but we haven't actually seen it over a full season yet. So um, hopefully they, once they get him fit and back, then then he's a, a very credible option because I think in Gibson and Hanley they've got two players who know what the championship is, is all about experienced both of one promotion from the division. Um, so I think that, that, to me would would probably be the best partnership. But in terms of the next weekend, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we don't see Gibson straight away. We've seen Daniel Farkas sort of trip feed players um minutes to start off with. Um so I think we we might be a, a couple of weeks away from seeing Ben Gibson. But he, on the flip side that wouldn't completely surprise me if he if he got chucked in from the off. So um so yeah that's that's what I go with in terms of defence, I think.
0: Yeah, I think I'd go Godfrey and Zimmerman. Definitely. Uh, Aaron seems like he had a really good game for the under-21s. Friday night, didn't he? Uh, they smashed Kosovo 6-0. Um, I think he... Well, one assist, he was involved in another, wasn't he? Toddy was involved in in another of the goals as well. So, um, Max always looks very comfortable in that company, I think, with the under-21s. Um, and I think him, he's still... There's a good chance that someone's going to come call in for him. But... Um, yeah, so that that pretty much settles the defence, I, I would have thought. Um, Pad, a nice
2: easy one for you. You're <laughs> going to be the central midfield two? So easy, Dave. Easy. So easy. It's Mr Skip and Mr McLean. No, no debate for me in terms of how Farker sees it and probably how I see it. Because uh, by the end of the German tour, the four games over there, it was very clear that they, those two in Farker's own mind, we're offering the best balance flowing out of what we touched on earlier in the pod about he's clearly, in his own mind, it seems now decided that that pairing have to be not uh, brawn over brain, as it were, because that wouldn't be fair, but 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 certainly more tilted towards breaking play up and being good and solid protection in front of your back four and, and maybe looking further forward for, for that creative element in his midfield mix, Um, albeit McLean and and Skip from what we've seen in pre-season have that ability Um, and Skip certainly showed quite an appetite to get forward uh, over in those German tour games and and obviously you don't come through Tottenham's sort of setup unless you've got the the comfort on the ball. Um, But yeah, if those two are fit, you know, they come back from their respective international tours with no problems then. I'll, I'll be frankly amazed if 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 he dropped a tete in there or, a, you know, well I don't see any other options really as as the two holding midfielders. Um, Melvin City came on today, but he's obviously uh, you know one for the future. But Skipper McLean all day long, and I think broadening it out into what Norwich can achieve this season, and a lot of it could hinge on those two, a staying fit and free of suspension and forming the sort of double act that, that it looks like they could be. Because if, if they can offer that ballast in that key area of the pitch, then we know that there's enough attacking options at the top end of the pitch that Norwich going forward shouldn't be an issue. And then you hope then that there's a... we touched on, Connor touched on, the defensive options. If they can get a settled back four behind them as well, then I think they're set fair. But crucial that those two um, are, are, are both on the same wavelength. And I think there was signs of that in Germany that they've all, already got that under, gem of an understanding that when one breaks, the other one will sit in and vice versa. Um, Norwich fans, when they're eventually allowed back in, they're going to love Skip because he's that combative type who slightly different in the modern modern era. But he, he seems to like a tackle and throw himself about. And I think he'll be a, a very popular player with the fans as well. And McLean, not everybody's cup of tea, but that new contract that he signed at the start of this past week, Just emphasises that in Farker's view, he is essential to to how he wants to set up now and and offers both the ability on the ball, but also the physicality. He's a big, powerful unit as well. So, yeah, I think uh, nailed on those two for Huddersfield. Okay, um,
0: and attacking the we've kind of already uh, gone over, I think, so we'll leave that. Um, We're expecting Bookie to start from probably, aren't we, even though Mr Eder is now a a fully-fledged Irish international as well. Uh, Just to finish on then, uh, Connor, from watching it on the feed, um, was there crowd noise and stuff as usual?
1: Uh, not not in the same way that we've seen in the Premier League. I, th- I think Luton actually pumped some over the speakers, didn't they? So, yeah. so that was that was audible at points. Um, I think it probably sounded a lot better on on the feed that I was watching than
0: it probably did for you guys in the stadium. It's um, quite weird. Like we ha- we haven't experienced that, have we? When we were doing the games in the Premier League after restart. Every, a lot of people were quite caught out when we were telling them, "Well, no, we don't have the crowd noise in the stadium. You just have that over your TV feed." But today we sort of had it, and it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't that same sort of almost personalised sound that has been on the Sky Sports feeds and things like that, and the BT feeds. It was just like a white noise, wasn't it? And it wasn't. It wasn't particularly nice. <laughs> but they they were almost turning. Well, they definitely were. They were turning the volume up when Luton were attacking, um, and not when Norwich were attacking. So. That caught me by surprise that they're allowed to do that, to be honest. Yeah, I wonder if there's, if there's maybe
1: a slight difference in Premier League and EFL regulation, perhaps. Uh, um, I
2: was Sorry, Conor, I was just going to say the the best element, which I don't know if that came through on the feed, was at the start of the second half, the PA announcer, as <laughs> if, I don't know what Kenworth Road holds, but say it's 10,000, 15,000, it was if he thought it was a full house, because he's gone with the booming voice, come on you hatters, as yeah. if he's exhorting the... Uh, to be fair, it was. It looked like uh, anybody who's got a visual on Luton, there's those, over the far side of the TV cameras, is those well, they look like? I don't know greenhouses slash conservatories lined up alongside each other. There's definitely people in there, so I don't quite know what why they were in a they were in the stadium. They didn't seem to be doing anything in terms of stewarding or anything like that. But but anyway, yeah, that was do you not realise there's no fans in the ground mate because that was just very surreal
0: they did have all the cardboard cutouts didn't they that's who
2: he was appealing for the cardboard
0: cutouts um, pointed out when we were waiting to interview Zimbo that there was a robocop (laughs) <laughs> so, somebody upload there was a few dogs um so that was quite funny but it, the, this the pa announcer literally gave it the big end. like let's
2: get behind the lads as yeah. the second half kicked off it's like, I, I literally turned to paddy he was like who's he talking to oh, God, nice. i think he forgot i think he maybe forgot that there was actually in the <laughs> yeah.
0: that was quite funny but there we go maybe a maybe a little bit of a tiny step towards normality but um yeah there's going to be a few of those tiny steps on there before we get there um Maybe there'll be more news on that soon. We'll have to see. I don't think Norwich City are too far away from being able to to update fans on, on where they are with that sort of stuff. Right, let's call it there. Connor, thanks very much for joining us. We're going to carry on the journey back home to Norfolk. Thank you very much for listening to us. And uh, of, of course, as I mentioned a little while ago, I've got the Pink and Live Thursday night, 5 30 pm. Looking ahead to that big Huddersfield game. You can join us on Zoom or the Pink and Facebook feed. But for now, Thank you very much for listening. Let's hope this is just a bit of a false start, and the uh, the journey back to the Premier League starts properly on Saturday at Huddersfield. But um, I have a feeling that it's not going to be smooth sailing. It never is with Norwich City. It never never goes the easy way, does it? So we shall see. It's going to be a really really interesting period in the time in the club's history. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you very soon.
1: From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com/channel/archant.